0: hello and welcome to pff fantasy football podcast team preview edition i'm your host ian Hartz. let's talk some freaking denver broncos people why the hell not joining me as always pffs number one person analyst something dwayne mcfarland he's back as always what's up man
1: Number one person like that, that that's, that's a new all time high, uh, (laughs) because that covers a lot, that covers a lot, but no, man, it is a great day to be great. And, uh, wrapping up the AFC West, um, it's, this is what a, what a division, man. It's been awesome. Electric.
0: We've been getting a lot of these done in 50 to 60 minutes, not so much in the NFC West because or AFC West yeah. because we have a lot to uh talk about, and I'm sure we will hear with the Broncos coming off a of last place season, but with a seven and ten record, like it's just I, I brought up this point differential stat a couple times because it really is crazy. I mean, the Chiefs win the division at 12 and 5 with a plus 116 point differential. The Raiders come in second at 10 and 7 at minus 65. And then we have the Chargers at nine and eight, plus 15 and Broncos seven and ten we're not only 28,000, but it's actually plus 13 so no wasn't a good season you know your last place as Bill Parcell says you are what your record says you are I've repeated that quote like every single USFL <laughs> episode when uh, breaking down some of the league but seriously with the Broncos uh, I think it's fair to say one of the better 7-10 and 10 teams they were plus 13 at 7-10 and 10. the Falcons at 7-10 were minus 146 Dwayne like it's just it's uh, it's it's a perfect example of why a 17 game sample size even up to 17 now doesn't always a total encapsulate everything that makes a team good or bad so as always with this team previews, going to go through all the offseason season coaching changes the roster the personnel changes and then go through quarterback running back wide receiver and tight end specifically obviously a lot has changed in denver from the front office to the coaching staff and the roster so entire 2021 regime is out of the picture head coach vic fangio offensive coordinator pat scharmer and defensive coordinator ed donatel are all gone. Their replacements are going to be head coach Nathaniel Hackett, who spent the last three seasons in Green Bay as Matt LaFleur's offensive coordinator, offensive coordinator Justin Alton, who was actually the Packers tight end coach from 2019 and 2021, and defensive co- coordinator Ejiro Evero, who spent time with the Buccaneers, 49ers, Packers, and most recently the Rams as their defensive pass game coordinator. Dwayne, we also had a nice little stretch of Hackett getting the most out of Blake Bortles in Jacksonville. So I went through, I included Jacksonville where he called the players from 26, 26- to 2018 just to see if there was something else there because I know Doug Marone probably had a hand in that as well but it was just really tough to necessarily look at what the Packers did over the last three years and say that's Hackett that's not Rodgers or LaFleur so with that in mind from 2016 to 2021 here have been Hackett's pass play rates in non-garbage time situations 7th 31st 10th 11th 23rd and 16th the pace situation neutral pace courtesy of football outsiders ninth. 13th, 25th, 18th, 32nd, and 12th. I'm not sure I've seen another guy jumping around like this, Dwayne. Again, it could very well be that Hackett himself hasn't had a ton of say over exactly what the offense is doing. At a minimum, though, after going through this, I'm not nearly as confident in the Broncos running the sort of fast paced, pass happy offense as we are with, say, the Chargers or Chiefs.
1: Yeah, I don't think they will. I think the Broncos will be more, I think they could be pass balanced because they've got the weapons to do it, but they also have a good defense. Now the Chargers do too. Um, But just looking at, you know, the history, um, the fact that you also have, you know, Javonta Williams, you did bring back Melvin Gordon, not on a very big deal. You'll talk about that in a minute, but I think they're just, you know, they're a diverse team. Um, we don't know for sure what the coach is going to do, but a lot of times what these coaches will do, obviously they're bringing everything they've learned together. But a lot of times, like the last place where they spent two or three years will end up being their formula. So I expect Hackett's offense to most look like right what he was doing in Green Bay. But what I think you could see is a wrinkle on it, which would be using more 11 personnel. Um, you know, With the Packers, they didn't necessarily have the personnel to, to, to use you know, 11 all the time, right? I mean, well, when you have Devonte Adams and that's it, you know, I mean, great. Alan Lazard, yet had MBS. We've talked about those guys on other, on other pods, but didn't have the weapons you do here. And, and we have questions about these guys, but still Cortland Sutton's a second round pick. Jerry Judy's a first round pick. Tim Patrick just got a contract. Albert Okwabunum. We know Ian, you're going to destroy him later, but look, he showed some flashes. Um, Noah fant gone, but like the offense itself, like I, I feel like, you know, we could see it continue to be like pass balanced, you know, to balanced offense, but using more 11 personnel. So it doesn't just because you're in 11 doesn't mean you have to run. Like people pick that up from Sean McVay, right back in the day, 11 meant you're in the shotgun. You got to be throwing the ball. And then Sean McVay said, no, we're going to run 11. We'll get up under center. We're going to get mismatches with nickelbacks, all that kind of stuff. Um, And we're going to run the ball too, which he did with Todd Gurley. So I think probably something more like that. And a lot of the, a lot of the, um, inner workings of the way those offenses work are really similar. A lot of play action, a lot of bootlegging, a lot of motion. Um, a lot of other things besides just 11 versus 21 or 12 personnel are really the same. A lot of the tenants are the same. It's just using, you know, the three wide receivers more instead of using two tight ends or a running back and a fullback. So I, that that's my thoughts on where it's at right now. But to your point, it is a tougher one to like put a pin in.
0: Packers did indeed only rank 21st in dropbacks featuring at least three wide receivers from 2019 to 2021 at 70% so they weren't like super removed I was joking uh, before we started recording today like the Minnesota Vikings were at 39% and the next closest team was 55% so yeah the Packers were below average but I do think that based on the personnel at hand and based on the hack it's seemingly willingness to adjust his offense to the talents on his roster which you know you would like to think every coach will do that far from a given even though it does seem to be a case where I think we'll see a lot more three wide receiver sets. Dwayne, I had a scary thought flash across my mind. Now, just let me open this up. I fully understand that correlation does not imply causation. You win games and then you run the football. It is not the other way around. I get it. I fully understand this concept. With that said, Dwayne, We've seen coaches again and again point at this number. We are going to see several boomer analysts this year make the same mistake and talk about how a team, their wins and loss records when they run the ball X amount of times per game. Just looking at those numbers, man, the two most successful seasons. Somebody still makes that
1: mistake, really.
0: Yeah, we'll see a couple this year. Mark my words. In 2017, they were 31st in pass play rate. And in 2020, again, 2017, that was when the Jaguars went to the AFC Championship. In 2020, with that loaded Packers team that also went to the NFC Championship, they were 23rd. I just wonder, man, because Javante and Melvin and the O-line, like they might be good enough to actually run the ball a lot. I know Russ probably didn't leave Seattle hoping to run the ball more, but I I agree with you. I think it'll be balanced to pass balanced there is a chance we see this be a run heavy offense. That's that's my overarching point.
1: Yeah, I think it's in the range of outcomes. And that's kind of where I was at with it. It's really tough to put a pin in it because mm-hmm. to your point, like if we were scatterplotting all the data you were sharing around hacking. It's, it's going like everywhere. This. It's like it's like, how do we really find what the middle you know of that is? Yeah, we can draw a line through it, but mm-hmm. probably don't know. And that would also go along with what I just said. Um that a lot of these coaches when they've had multiple stops and we do see kind of this chaos when we look back at like what the play calling has looked like. And to, and to your point, a really good point, like a lot of times these guys don't necessarily have a lot of say, you know, a a lot of times they're really, they're not handling the play calling. They're handling, getting the team ready for the game. And then the coach (laughs) comes in and plays, calls all the plays, the head coach. I just always thought that was kind of funny. Like, Hey, get them all ready. And then I'm going to run it in (laughs) down there at the two yard line. Uh, But having said all that, yeah, I think, in the range of outcomes would be that we do have this run heavy team now the good news is he is at least an offensive minded coach right if it's a defensive minded coach a lot of times we're pretty much like yep yep it's a real good chance like that they're going to want to just manage these narrow margins not not lose the game you know versus trying to win the game so we'll have to see you know with Nathaniel Hackett but um, totally agree in the range of outcomes as they end up run heavy I think looking at their roster I think it's you know I don't Think it's the way they'll go, but it it definitely could play out that way.
0: There's talent everywhere. Every single position we're going to talk about, even Albert O. That is one talented human being that he can go out there and put up big numbers. But as we're going to see, tight end, running back, wide receiver alike, it's, there is the potential for these committees and rotations to be a lot, you know, closer than I think people are maybe giving credit for. And if we're going to have a slower paced offense, it's not exactly throwing the ball around the yard. I do think you need to take a little bit more of a pause projecting multiple high end pass game options out of this offense compared to the Chargers who we just talked about. So let's go through some of the personnel moves. Last year's starting quarterback, Teddy Bridgewater, signed a one-year deal with the Dolphins, went 7-7 seven and seven, seven as the Broncos starter in 2021, mostly above average, two average marks. Drew Locke, poor one out, traded the Seahawks as part of the Russ deal. I get it, 42nd overall pick of the 2019 NFL draft, never quite lived up to expectations, but damn it, Dwayne, I'm still holding out hope. You never know. you tell me there's a chance. I don't even know if there is a chance, but I- I'm going to say there's one. So Russell Wilson, obviously the major move. Broncos sent. Drew Locke, Noah Fant, Shelby Harris, 2022 and 2023 first-round picks. 2022 and 2023 second-round picks and 2022 fifth-round pick in exchange for Wilson and a fourth-round pick. Obviously, a Super Bowl champion. Anyone's idea of a top-10 quarterback since entering the league, if not top-5. And quarterback Josh Johnson signed to a one-year, $1.2 million contract to presumably compete with Brett Rippey for the backup job. Dwayne, this was so cool. I didn't realize it until yesterday. Josh Johnson played two extended appearances last year for the jets. And then he later got that random spot start with the Ravens. He threw for over 300 yards <laughs> in both games. He did not play in the NFL since 2018. That is crazy. Yeah,
1: that is really crazy. And is he on a team right now?
0: He's competing with Brett Rippian on the Broncos. Yes. There, there you go. I think he's better. I think he wins that out 36 years young. Let's go. Josh Johnson. That's who everyone should be rooting for right now. Wide receiver Deontay Spencer remains a restricted free agent. Wide receiver Deshaun Hamilton remains a free agent yeah, guess what? Broncos are perfectly fine at wide receiver. The only guy they actually added in the draft was Montrell Washington, who actually just projects as more of a returner to probably replace what Deontay Spencer has been doing for the team. And at tight end I mentioned Noah Fant get traded to the Seahawks. You know, similar to Drew Locke, didn't really ever meet those high expectations. That come along with uh, someone with his sort of draft capital. Hopefully he, uh, you know, gets it going in Seattle, but that situation under center isn't going to improve anytime soon. And tight end Eric Tomlinson did sign a one year 1.4 million dollar contract he's a 30 year old journeyman that has 18 receptions and 68 career games like Before the draft, it was all arrows up for Albert O because like, we were looking at him and Eric Tomlinson. Similar situation to Irv Smith in Minnesota, where when they added Johnny Munt, it was like, oh, this is great. This is another block first tight end that's not going to keep Irv from getting all the target share. The problem that we'll talk about more in a bit, though, was that the only skill position player the Broncos added on day two was UCLA tight end Greg Dolchich. PFF's, uh, you know. This was our bottom line on the third round pick. He's arguably has arguably the best feel for getting open at the tight end position in the class, but he just needs to get a little bit bigger. Again, we'll discuss that rotation uh, in a bit, but Dwayne, obviously the one big move here, it's Russell Wilson. I mean, even if you think his best years are behind him, which I don't even think we need to necessarily assume at this point. I mean, the Broncos instantly go from a not bad seven and 10 team to a legit Super Bowl contender.
1: Yeah, I mean, my question is like, why? I, why would we ever assume that when we see how long quarterbacks can play now? Right. I mean, the guy's going to be thirty-three point eight years old. I mean, you know, Bond. you got you got Brady playing into mid forties. You know, he's forty-five at this point. Um, you know, you had Breeze playing up into that. You had Manning. Like, it's just. I'm not worried about Russell Wilson. You know, we'll have to talk a little bit about his rushing, right? You know, does he have the same rushing upside that he used to have, like when he put up 854 yards in 2014? No, like he's not going to give you that. But as a passer, he's fine. And I still think he can be a plus on the ground versus you know, 75% of the other guys that you might start, you know, as your fantasy quarterback, right? We know there's that 25% club, right, where those guys are all elite. They can do the things Russ used to be able to do. I think Russ is still capable of giving you 300, 350 yards on the ground if he's healthy. Um, Last year, only 186 in 14 games. But yeah, man, Russ, like, unlocks everything. And so now, like, because you have Russ here, um, you know, what's really interesting is this division, Ian, the Chiefs are projected for 10 and a half wins. The chargers are projected for 10 wins, you know, by Vegas. And this is DraftKings sports book, uh, Broncos, 10 wins and the Raiders eight and a half. Like the Raiders are basically projected at 500, right. And a 17 game season and all the rest. So the average win rate for the division, uh, wins that's by far like the most in the nfl like you get over to the nfc south at 7.6 average (laughs) so it's crazy you just don't see something like this very often like when i put i posted a thing about on twitter earlier and immediately somebody comes back and they're like how can this even be possible they have to play (laughs) each other and i'm like i know it's wild but that's only six games in a 17 game season you have 11 other outs you know so um yeah there's going to be a lot of fireworks in this division it's going to be a blast to watch so i'm all for having russ wilson And maybe getting to cook, I don't know. But just getting to watch Russ play against Patrick Mahomes, Justin Herbert, getting to play against Derek Carr, who we talked about yesterday. Like, wow, what a loaded division at quarterback.
0: Let's just go ahead and talk about Russ a little bit more in this quarterback room. Cannot find a more devoted quarterback to his craft. Dwayne, this man spent 19 or 20 hours a day rehabbing that fractured finger. I still don't know how it's possible. I don't know how he said it with a straight face. Uh I know the performance like immediately after didn't go exactly well but what a freaking character this Russell Wilson guy is man like it's I don't know man the whole remember the thing in the past about the concussion healing water do you ever catch that storyline No He had, there was some sort, he he was literally, he has a, you can look it up on Google. Like he claimed for, I think eventually got caught up. He kind of backed off the take, but he literally said like he hurt his head and then he drank this water. And by Monday he was good. And he attributed that to the water. So Russell, (laughs) Russell Wilson, uh, what's that silly nickname, Mr. Impossible or some stuff like just, uh just a character and i think we can just uh leave it with that but yeah last year didn't go great but i think we can just chalk it up to that fractured finger with that said though pff passing grade was a career low 70.7 his qb rating big time throw rate and adjusted completion rate were all the lowest since 2017 but you know you were talking about shane waldron and kind of things he did to that seattle passing game and the offense in general i do think that we can more or less write off that year i mean man I, i've gone back and I, I tried it for every quarterback like just For the ones that deserve it, I just like to show their ceiling and what they're able to do on film, throwing the football. Because at the end of the day, man, I freaking love football. So if we're not actually watching football, like what's the point of any of this? So with Russ... I was pleasantly surprised like how many actual great throws he still made last year because I think just the fact that he wasn't the same just world beater talent as a fantasy quarterback. I mean, he was just a QB 13 and fantasy points per game after finishing as this QB 6, QB 5, QB 11 and QB 1 on a per game basis over the previous years. I think the injuries and then just that really bad stretch he had immediately coming back from the finger injury maybe just altered our view of him and what he's still very much capable of. I mean, those, you know, as, as our boss man, Chris Collins as as patented them the moon balls that he unleashes you know to metcalf and lockett over the years just truly you know one of the most beautiful balls in all of football so yes you mentioned the rushing though career low 13.1 rushing yards per game but maybe that was another thing where like when you're already playing with the injured finger not as willing to go running out there we do know that quarterbacks run less as they get older but to your point are we going to get 500 plus yards anymore no but 300 and a couple touchdowns certainly seems reasonable enough so again, attributing most of the drop-off in performance to the system, to the injury. And now he goes to a Denver offense that has weapons all over the place. I'm not going to say like it's the best wide receivers of his career, because I think Cortland Sutton would be the third best wide receiver on the present day Seattle Seahawks. So I, I don't want to disparage anything Metcalf, Lockett, Doug Baldwin, uh, even Paul Richardson, how's that for a name, have done over the years with Russ. But the Broncos offensive line right now, PFF's 2022 rankings, 16th, Seattle's dead last at 32nd. We know we got the run game. We got at least one, if not two, receiving friendly tight ends. Look, man, I have Russ as my QB 10 in the same tier as Brady, Burrow, and Dak. I have him at the bottom because he's the only one in the group having to adjust the teams in a new life. But he has a ceiling, man. and I don't know if he still has the overall QB one sort of ceiling without that huge rushing upside, but at a minimum, I think it's top three. And him and Dak Prescott, if they do actually get back to run the ball a little more, which we just got a report on Dak today uh, from Mike McCarthy, potentially uh, saying that's a possibility like Dak and Russ could easily leap Brady Burrow and maybe even like the Lamar and Hertz of the world if they're not going to be putting up similar passing numbers.
1: Yeah, and I'm I'm just to the point where I'm taking Russ over Dak. Like I like I like Dak too. Um, and you know there's the volume, the pass volume that we know is going to be there. Russ could end up being in a more conservative offense. I just feel like the ceiling for Russ. Um, I like CD Lamb better than any weapon on this offense by a decent margin. But then after that, I just feel like Russ has the better collection yeah. overall. And and out of look, I think there's a chance two of these weapons bust, right? And we don't get anything. But I think there's when you've got four, I think there's I feel good. And plus you throw KJ Hamler in the mix. I think there's, he's going to at least have two good weapons. Right. And most likely he's going to, you know, maybe they're all just decent and still though, that's going to be enough, you know, for Russell Wilson. So um, yeah, I like him. I think, I think the upside that you mentioned, I'm I'm with you. I don't think at this point, he probably has that number one overall, but I think what you said, you know, getting just outside the top three, maybe just inside the top three, depending on how the season plays out. Cause here's the thing, man, they're going to have to remain. Complete pedal to the metal at all times. Yeah, their defense is decent, but their schedule is not helping them. Yeah. They've got to play, you know, their own conference, you know, six games. We already talked about that. And then you got to play the NFC West. So at least, you know, three more games, right? That are going to be tough. You know, we can throw Seattle out, you know, his old team, but he's probably just going to want to stomp them anyway. So we'll just go ahead and throw that one in there. So there's another four good matchups um, where, You know, Russ is going to have to probably keep the pedal to the metal. Now, not every one of those games is going to work out that way because, you know, as they say, it's not a perfectly round ball. It bounces weird ways. Things happen, right? And sometimes you can take your foot off the gas. Maybe you run the ball more. But I think it's be tough for this team to get too involved in being, you know, a run heavy offense. Also, just because of the schedule that they have to play and that alone gives us an upside that Russ could have to throw the ball, you know, more than what we've seen in recent years uh, with Seattle. And I think that's a plus as far as his rushing goes. I just went ahead and looked real quick, like what it looked like before the finger and after the finger. And so last year, Looking at the handy dandy utilization reports, you know, we just got to say it once. I feel like I haven't said that word, those words in a, in a while, Ian, but 4% um, after the finger injury was his scramble rate. Before the finger injury, it was 7%. And just cool. for folks wondering, like, what difference does that make? Well, I mean, if you look at scramble rate, the average in the NFL is 4.3%. 4, 4. So he's basically at the average after his finger. Maybe some of that's to do with, to your point, just kind of protecting himself, not wanting to get hurt. So normally, you know, he's a he's a guy that's going to be above the league average, you know, in scramble rate. So if you look at his career, like over the last several years, yeah, it hasn't always it hasn't been quite what we used to see back in the day. Man, Russ was a ten percent to you know, actually, like his first four years, between ten percent and nine point five percent. Like he was rushing the ball, you know. Quite well, like 6% above, you know, 6 percentage points above the league average. Here over the last several years, we've seen it at 8.4%, 5.9, 7.4, 8.2, and last year was a career low of 5.2. So my guess is the finger was a factor. We're probably seeing somewhere more like maybe seven and a half which is still means he won't be a zero right in the run game. Also from a design rush attempt, they really cut it back last year too. That was a career low of only 4% where typically he's seven, seven, 8%. Now back in the day, he was 10 and 15%. We don't think he's going to get that anymore, but I think it is a player that, you know, and when you look at the rest of the league, you know, design rushing attempts, the league average is like six and a half for quarterback. He's probably going to be above both of those numbers, design rush and scramble. Um, and he's also smart. Like he knows when to do it. So whenever Russ is scrambling, he's still pretty effective. Um, and he knows how to get down. He knows how to, you know, avoid the injuries. But his yards per scramble have not really gone down. Like still over the last three years, 7.4, 8.5, 7.5. Those actually match like his younger years, 6.6, 8.5, 9.7, where his first three years in the league. So I like those things for Russ this year.
0: Yeah, his slide is beautiful. You know, we always gotta get reminded that he used to play baseball back in the day. Every single time he it's does so it, so it's so smooth though. I mean, that is just you know. Especially nice.
1: when you watch some other quarterbacks, you're like, wow. <laughs> you're like, like I remember watching RG3. I used to think, what is going on? Like RG3, like evidently he ran hurdles. He knew how to hurdle, but he did not know how to slide. Russ is the is a professional slider.
0: Or we'll just dive head first, like Mike Vick. I don't know. Like at some point with Russ, Duang, when do you think the last year was that he ran for over 500 yards?
1: Uh, probably four years ago, he
0: got in 2020. I was Did surprised he? there. So, this was going into 2020. I was not, I was kind oh, yeah. of 5'11. Yep, I was down on him. Uh, I was down lower on Russ than normal. Big reason why. You talk about the design rushing usage. I mean, from 2012 to 2018, Russ went, this was purely designed rushing yards. He was at 155, 105, 349, 185, 52, 134, 77. In 2019, he had seven designed rushing yards on the entire season. They just stopped doing it. And accordingly, his rushing tank, but he showed in 2020 that he still had that in his back pocket and accordingly got the 500 plus yards. I mean, dude, he ran for 849 yards in 2014. Like, I know that's a while ago, but it would make sense if, you know, the exceptions that we've seen to the idea that quarterbacks run less and No, I'm not saying Russ is going to be back to the five or 800 range, but guys like Cam Newton, like the quarterbacks that have kept running, were freaking ballers at running throughout their career, as Russ has been. And again, we're not saying 500 plus, but, you know, it might be enough. And to your point, I've got him at
1: 350, man. I've got him at 350 in a 17 game season. um, You know, and I got him with three rushing touchdowns. I mean, if you want to call that two, I'm okay with that. But I I feel like that's kind of, you know, that's that's the median projection, right? He could do a little more than that. He could do a little less. I feel really comfortable with three fifty, you know, to three seventy-five rushing and three rushing touchdowns.
0: Dax had more than three hundred five rushing yards once. That was three fifty-seven. Exactly. Now, Dak got the Dak was used more as a weapon near the goal line and stuff. But I don't. I think this is just coach speak going on with him right now. All right, Dwayne, you win round one, and it's not a win. Like we're just trying to give the people the best. There's no there. wins
1: with Russell Wilson. We all love Russell Wilson. <laughs>
0: I'm saying Russ, I think should go over Dak. I think you're right. I oh, think okay. There's gonna be and, and more look, sh-
1: they're close. Like if I had to draft a hundred teams, I wouldn't draft Russ a hundred times over Dak if I was faced with that decision every time. But I think, you know, I'd probably go 65, 60, 40. Let's call it that.
0: 60, 40. That's fair. We're still taking it behind Joe Burrow and Tom Brady though. Correct? Yes. No problems with that. All right, let's talk some freaking running backs then. Javante Williams, Melvin Gordon, preseason superstar Mike Boone on the roster. Javante Williams was fantastic last year. Pick a stat, any stat. Number one, missed tackles. Force 3.4 yards after contact. Like all the numbers that we can try to take for running backs that attempt to look at their performance independent of the surrounding cast and offensive line. Javante just absolutely crushes it. Dwayne, do you have some you want to read off? I, you got that sparkle in your eye.
1: Oh, yeah. Well, I, I put out a tweet, so you folks can, can go. Ch- I did a bunch, actually, on Javante if you guys want to go see him, so just go at Dwayne McFarland. But, yeah, if you look at rookie running back since 2011 to eclipse three yards after uh, contact per attempt, 20% missed tackles forced per attempt, and 11% explosive carry, so those are 10-plus yard carries, with a minimum of at least 175 attempts. Here's your list. Kareem Hunt, Nick Chubb, and Javante Williams. That's it. That's the end of the list. So like pretty, uh, we know Chubb hasn't gotten the receiving volume, but if any of you are really doubting Chubb's ability as a running back, like just go watch, go look at any data, top three running back in the league as far as being a pure runner, you might argue he's the number one, you know, and Ian, the last time I said that you're like, well, we could also maybe argue Kareem Hunt is the number one. And that's the thing (laughs) we're both on the same damn team. And you're right. Kareem Hunt, all of his underlying metrics. And here's the thing with both of these guys, those metrics, have continued to stick with them, and it's why they can still be valuable even though they aren't full-time players. Which is kind of the question that we're fa- we're faced with with Javante Williams. But it's why I'm so comfortable with him, Ian, where he's going in ADP is just because even if Melvin Gordon and I don't I don't think Melvin Gordon's going to be the same factor that he was last year. Not because Gordon wasn't good, but let's just set that aside for a second. Even if Javante Williams still has to continue to share time, you know, with Melvin Gordon a player that's this elite a player that is this efficient a player that plays in a good offense like this he plays in a better offense than those two other guys um like there's still plenty of ways for him to give you value on a floor even if you have to take him as the rb12 so an underdog right now he slips into the third round i love him ian in the third round ffpc he's it costs you more like people are already especially in redraft um If you look at best ball over at FFPC, thank you Fantasy Mojo. He's a round three pick one, but if you look at him over there in redraft, where you know people are dropping three fifty minimum, you know to 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 jump into a draft for Football Guys Players Championship, like he's already a mid second round pick. So if someone got a little antsy with Javante as a mid second with Melvin Gordon back, like I'm not going to blame him. I'm still going to go ahead and get exposure, you know, at that at that price tag. But I think the thing that makes me feel so comfortable is I think one is. Well, number one is just what I said. Like He's already good enough. We've seen Nick Chubb pay off mid-second round value in the past. Not that he's the profile we're looking for, but I still feel like Javante does get a chance to step forward. And I'm sure you've got some cool tweets you're going to talk about, so I'm not going to use them all because I know you've been monitoring Twitter and looking at them. But I think Javante has a really good chance to be more like 65% of the backfield this year. And if that happens and all this data is still there and we got an offense that's playing better, He has the overall upside to be the number one running back in all of fantasy football, and we can't just say that about anyone. Um, Like, yes, everyone has that in their range of outcomes, pretty much somewhere. But it's like, at what percentile does it hit? Like, not to get like too mathy and nerdy. I think
0: everyone. I think everyone has top twelve RB one potential. I don't. I think you need to be a certain level of like we don't see. Well, what I mean is like we can say every
1: yeah sorry i wasn't trying to talk over it. what i mean is yeah. uh some guy may have a one percent chance of that happening right okay, javante <laughs> it's way better than that's my point like i think you know if javante all of a sudden was a 65 35 back like i think you know it's it's more like that's you know 20 percent chance right that he can be that number one overall he's just that good
0: coming in and writing my team preview, I was thinking before I started writing that I might have to get lower on uh, Javante Williams, like bumping him down the ranks. Because That's I, what I
1: thought, too. When I was doing my yeah. projections, I was like, man, I'm going to end up having to move him down. Because I, I was like,
0: man, the missed tackles are cool. The yards after contact is cool. But, you know, DeAndre Johnson and Michael Carter, like Michael Carter, his teammate, last year, Javante was number one in missed tackles for us per carry. Michael Carter was number two. And they both averaged 3.4 yards after contact per carry. So I was like, are we just. Really overweight, weighting the talent for Javante Williams, which he has. I get that. But there's a reason why we don't give a shit about the Ernest Johnson and to a. You're talking extent. about his
1: old college teammate, Michael Carter.
0: I am. So there's a reason why we don't care enough. We don't care as much about those guys because of the workload. So I wanted to really look at Williams through the workload lens and adjust accordingly if the workload wasn't going to be as good as we were expecting. But yeah, man, he had the 13th most touches already last year. I know. Like, that's great. If nothing, to your point, if nothing changes except the offense getting a lot better, which I think is a very fair expectation, having Russ under center, if nothing changes, I think he can easily work as an upside RB2. And yeah, I don't think we should necessarily be expecting nothing to change because they only brought back Melvin Gordon on a modest one year, $2.5 million contract. It took them months for them to come to that. Like, there needs to be something. And I'd like to, it'd be a tough one. They basically
1: told Melvin Gordon. And I don't mean this as a slap to Melvin Gordon. I love Melvin Gordon. I've had him on a dynasty team, like a good player. But what the Broncos told him was, if you can go find a better deal, take it. Yeah. We're here, if not, and we'll we'll give you this deal. And you know, he ended up coming back. Now, maybe someone offered him a little more and he wanted to stay in Denver. I think that's very possible. It's just like, not like no one liked Melvin Gordon. Somebody may have. He did have a couple of visits. But at the end of the day, it is a one-year $2.5 million deal. Like it's really not that much. And it's a back that's over 1700 touches in his career. You know, he's getting older. We talked about it last episode. I know with Derek Henry, but I mean, Gordon's in that window of where it could, he could completely fall off, you know? So, and I think just, Reading the tea leaves with like what's going on and not mini camp practice reports. People <laughs> give me a break on mini camp practice reports. We don't care, I don't care who's running with the first team, I don't care who's running with the second team. Like everybody's mixing together at this point. But like it sounds like looking at the season, right? There are people from the coaching staff, there are people from the team saying that look this is this this has a real shot to be Javante's show now Javante still got to do his thing right here's the thing if you have a back like Melvin Gordon behind you Ian you can't come out and suck if you come out and suck like that can turn south on you because Melvin Gordon's professional man he's a good player and so that that's going to be a risk for Javante Williams but you already said it if that just means they stay in the same split that they're in that they were in last year he still had he still had plenty of touches and it's efficiency and it's a better offense
0: well, I was saying I can't quantify this, but the fact that they took so long to get him signed and then it's not a bigger deal. Like same thing with Jarek McKinnon and even Daryl Williams going to the Cardinals. Like, I'm just not going to be as worried about those guys sounding out. And if they would have on the second day of free agency, like a lot of these guys. So how about this? Melvin Gordon himself got asked about the competition. This is what he said. The goal is to make the team want to play me. I know we're going to do our thing. Me and Vontae are going to do it. I don't really know how we're going to do the reps and things like that. The goal right now is to really master the playbook and let things play out. I'm definitely going to be ready to battle. That's what it is. It's going to make us better. It did last year. I'm going to continue to do that. New coaching staff. Like, Okay, maybe Hackett comes to Denver and he says this could be my Aaron Jones and AJ Dillon or maybe he looks at Javante Williams and goes that's my Leonard Fournette who's not going to leave the field like it was in Jacksonville again last year they both had exactly 200 carries Williams had 53 targets Gordon had 38 again we're talking about a floor of 250 combined carries and targets for Javante Williams and the ceiling is probably 350 like this is a great situation and a perfect example of Buying someone closer to their floor than ceiling, which I know sounds weird because Javante is already a top, you know, 14, 15 running back. But when his ceiling is legit but overall funny, RB1, you know, it's I f- fair.
1: I feel like if you ask the average person, not the average person, this community is pretty split on Javante. So you kind of have, it's kind of breaking into this truth or stand versus non-stand kind of thing, which I don't think it should be. But I think what's interesting about what you just said, a lot of the folks that are against Javante, You know, kind of what, you know, their thought is, is, you know, you're not getting him at his floor. And and that's kind of been my point is that really, okay, maybe you're not getting him as at at his exact floor. If you have to take him at RB 12, if you're just looking at positional, not just like where you have to take him in the round in the draft, maybe he ends up as RB 15 okay, it's three spots, people, and how far apart are these points going to be? You are pretty much getting him at his floor, and for the upside he carries, you're getting a bargain, to be honest. like You're getting a bargain. This is the kind of player, and I haven't said this about any player yet, and not to say that there, wouldn't be, there aren't others, but Javante Williams is the type of player that can completely give you like you can you can deliver a death blow to your whole league in round three if he suddenly becomes a sixty five to seventy percent back. Let's say you and he's typically going down towards the two three turn. You start the draft with whoever uh, I don't care Cooper Cup CMC Jonathan Taylor. You come back you get Javonta Williams to go with that in your third round and he ends up next year as a top four pick in the fantasy draft because he's a complete beast. You're you have a really good chance to win your league just off two picks, you know your first rounder and this one, as long as they both stay healthy. Like it's it's you don't get this kind of upside that often, and I love a lot of other players going around. I and like we love T Higgins, we love, uh, you know, I like Debo Samuel probably a little more than you, but I know you love Debo Samuel the player. There are a lot of guys that are sliding into that range depending on which platform that you're playing on, and it is tough because they're sitting there. They don't have the upside that Javonta Williams has if things go his way. And just real quick, let me throw a few splits out there for folks. So, number one, I want to call out with Javonta Williams. And I know this was the old coaching staff, so we can't like over-read into it too much, can't overanalyze it. But I still think from an NFL coaching perspective, and you and I talked about this last year pretty much every week on the pod, um, you know, on the on the Sunday night pod. The thing I love with Javonta Williams is there wasn't any. Situation that they kept him from long down and distance, let him play. Two minute offense, let him play inside the five, let him have carries. Short down and distance, they let him play. A lot of times with rookies, what you'll see is you get into these high leverage situations inside the five, get Javante Williams out of there, he's going to fumble the wall. <laughs> nope, didn't do that. Two minute offense, he's going to get our quarterback sacked. Nope, left him out there. Two minute offense, not going to know the play, not going to know the check route, not going to know the hot route, not going to know the blitz pickup. Nope, he was out there. So the beauty is. They've already shown they trust him to play in every game situation. Will that translate to the new coaching staff? I can't tell you, but I all I can say is it's a positive. It's not a negative, right? He wasn't Rojo. Rojo immediately got buried, was never able to get, you know, the two-minute offense, all those things. And guess what? It just stuck with him with his career. And now we watch him play in those situations and we and we know why. We knew it, we know what they were seeing um, in practice and why they wouldn't let him out there. So Javante. After the bye week, an important week, right, for rookies. So, week 11 was the bye week last year for the Broncos. Coming out of that, if you look at Melvin Gordon, he averaged 48% of the snaps. Javante Williams, 57%. If you look at the rushing attempts, Javante bumped up to 51%, and Melvin Gordon actually went down. He was down to 47%. So, again, look, they were still close. But it's pretty much across the board on all these things, especially on routes and overall snaps and getting to play in some of these other sub package uh, things. They really went to Javante more in the second half of the year. So the other coaching staff, not only did they use him in all those situations, they increased his role after the bye week. So those things to me all speak positively to Javante Williams' profile. Yeah, He's going to have to show these coaches that he can do the same thing. So I'm not going to argue that point. But I think if I have to take all that information in and process it together and say, is that a good thing or a bad thing that that happened for Javante Williams last year? It's a positive, right?
0: Yes, 100%. And the coach, I think people are quick to recognize the coaching staff changes and the fact that we can't assume things are going to be the same. But I don't think enough uh, is being given to the fact that George Patton, their GM, like wasn't there before 2021 so when melvin gordon got that original deal to come to denver like george Patton was the one sounding that check he was already in minnesota what happens when it does come time for him to decide who's gonna be a running back he traded up for javante in the second round made the same move that the jets did to trade up and get breeze hall basically and then like just he goes ahead and gives gordon just a much smaller contract than he got and his first time with the broncos so i understand last year we saw the 50 50 split but Again, man, if nothing changes, like you're not going to be looking at that Javante pick, like my God, like I am just completely screwed. It's not going to be as ideal. You're hoping we are, you know, first or last baby. We're trying to win the whole thing. We don't k- give a shit about second or third, but I just think that the floor is more than fine. The floor is good. The ceiling is extra freaking terrestrial. So to <sighs> me, I'm still going to take, you know, I-, I have them as I moved them up to my RB 13. Where do you have them? Do hey I-
1: dude, that, That says a lot, Ian, because I felt, you know, I've had Javante a little higher than you, but anytime I go in to look at a player and like to really like tighten the screws down and, you know, as you first go to dig in, like your first gut was what? That you're going to have to move Javante down or that you're going to be further down on him. And when the opposite happens, that doesn't happen very much in my process. And so when it does, I mean, it does. I mean... It happens a handful of times, right? Every year, but I always notice like who those players are. Like, so hearing you even say that, because the the evidence, because if you go in and you're already feeling that way, basically we're human beings. So the evidence has to be overwhelming to turn you back the other way. And so for you to be able to find that and then like come back and be like, nope, actually he's moving up, like (laughs) to me, that speaks volumes about Javante.
0: Well, and dude, there's so many stats out there. We can we can hype up probably 200 football players, and like just if we wanted to really frame things the way they were. Right, the not right, three. Right, The reason I got in this business, though, was because I was just reading, you know, no offense to the people I was reading, but I'd read these articles, man. And I'd just be like, all right, well, what about this? And they wouldn't even bring it up. And my thought was like, "Okay, you didn't bring it up because you didn't think about it, which is wrong. Or you did think about it. and It didn't support your argument. And you decided not to put it in there because of that. (laughs) Yeah. So it's like and that's my thing. Like, yeah, I get it. Writing thirty five hundred four thousand word like team previews, like probably, you know, probably not hitting as well with the old, you know, Clicks as they were 10 years ago, and people read more. But it's like you need to put in that work to be able to know about these guys. Like, you know, hey, if TikTok's your thing, that's great. But you know how you can be better at TikTok? Writing a shit ton of words about these guys because writing is going to rationalize your thoughts and help you turn around on someone like Javante Williams and not miss out. So my RB 13, I was tempted to move ahead of Joe Mixon, but I live in Cincinnati, Dwayne. I can't have Bengals fans coming down and, you know, finding me over at the lovely, sometimes lovely Drexel apartments. So where do you have uh, Javante ranked? I have him 13 ahead of Nick Chubb, ahead of Alvin Kamara, ETN. I do have him behind Mixon, Swift, Jones, and then my boomer workhorses with Lenny, Connor, and Saquon.
1: Yeah. So I mean, I'm I'm boom. I'm like big time boom on him. Um, I've got him at ten, um, but but again, I haven't updated you know my running backs you know in a couple of weeks, and I've really been I need to move Saquon Barkley ahead of him as much as I love Javante. Like Barkley's got to go in front, and I have Leonard Fournette one spot behind Javante right now. Um, so I've got Javante Williams at, at running back ten. So I've got him in a tier with Aaron Jones, DeAndre Swift, and um, and Javante are in that tier. Tier above that. Henry, Dalvin Cook, and Joe Mixon. And then we already, you know, Jonathan Taylor, CMC, obviously, Eckler and Najee Harris are my top four. So and then after Javante, um, we already talked about Fournette and Barkley. I've got Kamara due to the suspension thing, James Connor, Nick Chubb. So um I'm pretty high on him, man. Um at RB ten. But I mean, he might need to be more like eleven or twelve ish. Like I've I've been toying with where to with where to put him here. Like I love Lenny. Um you know, and, and I love the offense. You know, I've got them right next to each other. It's just the profile on Javante. Like the the, I, the upside I know that's there if he gets the 65, it's, it's gonna, it's probably gonna outdo Fournette if Fournette's at 70. Um, so that's kind of where I'm torn back and forth. But I, I, I wouldn't blame anyone. Like sitting there looking at Javante, Leonard Fournette, Saquon, you want to take Saquon and Fournette over, over Javante, fine. But I think after that is like, you, you got to draw a line and be like, Javante needs to be your RB12
0: i don't hate it right now he's rb 14 on underdogs we were both ahead of consensus as i wanted to be and he's a 27th player off the board i actually have him 23rd overall i would take him over that group of wide receivers keenan debo t higgins ajb mike williams and the such so just something to keep in mind with uh javante you're probably gonna anytime you can get him round three man absolutely because i don't think it's gonna be that much longer that we're able to get away with that over with the fine folks underdog fans and it's
1: It's also a strategy part, right? You know, we, you know, we've talked about this. uh, I can't remember. It was like a couple of weeks ago, probably. Uh, No, it probably wasn't a couple of weeks. Probably last week. (laughs) We do so many of these. Sometimes I say (laughs) like three days, like two weeks ago, because we're doing so many different podcasts. (laughs) Um, But, you know, you guys can go check my Twitter feed. But just basically, if you go back and you look at, you know, we don't get that many players to, to go over 22 points, regardless of position, you know, in a fantasy season. We usually get two to five every year. And if you look at it, about 70, 65 to 70% of them historically are running backs. And if you want to move that number up to 25 points per game, this is PPR. um, And this is since 2011, um, 80% of them are running backs. And so when you hear Ian say something like, I'm going to take them over T Higgins, I'm going to take them over, you know, these other receivers. And I am too, because the upside case for Javante is league winner. Not that T Higgins couldn't be a super huge part of you winning, you know, your league as well, right? He could easily outperform ADP. We love the guy, but just statistically speaking, like he can't carry the same upside as what we get from some of these, as Pat Corrine calls them legendary running backs. Javante has a chance to have a legendary running back season. And so I want to be, and I don't say this often. I'm Oh, I'm going to be overweight on Javante Williams and he's a top three round pick. Usually picks in the first three rounds. I have some avoids, but I pretty much spread it out, right? And I'm going to stay even. But with Javante, I will. I'm going to take on a little bit of extra, just because I want to build so many rosters, just different ways with him on it. With him really being, you know, a main catalyst to just driving the whole thing to a to a huge payday.
0: Let's give Melvin Gordon some love, because as much as
1: we do love <laughs> Sorry, Javante guys, Williams,
0: he is. Uh, I mean, look, everyone should know Melvin Gordon's great, and that was. You know, last year, I think similar, uh, we've seen it with Jamal Williams, too. Like, just because these guys, and Melvin Gordon, he's been attached to Eckler and then also attached to Javante Williams. Like, just because you want the other running back to leap out in front doesn't mean we need to put old Melvin down. Last year, 50 running backs had at least 100 carries. Melvin ranked ninth in PFF rushing grade, 16th in yards per carry, tied for 16th in yards after contact per carry, and 10th in missed tackles, force per carry. I get it. Javante, like when you're seeing number one, number two, and all this shit, it's like, yeah, that's the running back. We prefer to get the ball. Melvin's pretty darn good in his own right. Dude, he's had at least 1,100 yards and double-digit touchdowns in five of his last six seasons. The only exception was the holdout year where, you know, came back and still ended up having over 900 yards and I think seven scores, so... He has surpassed the 1,500 professional carry mark. Him, Zeke, Derrick Henry are those guys. Shout out Taj Seth, as always, for that information. But, you know, we don't need to go down the Derrick Henry rabbit hole again. But my main point with that was just that, again, Any player that's getting more touches and getting older, obviously your increase, your chance of injury is going to be going up as well. But the main point that I took away from this study was that you're rushing yards above expectation. You're not going to be able to be the same sort of outlier talent once you have this sort of wear and tear on you. I don't think it's necessarily a reason to full fade guys that are still expected to see big workloads. And I think that's what Gordon's looking at, man. Even if Javante is going to make this more of a 60, 40, maybe 70, 30 situation for all we know, even if that happens, I still think Gordon's going to be between 150 to 200 combined carries and targets. And I think you can rationalize putting him in that low end RB three range because of that. Like, no, I would still take The higher upside running backs like Kareem Hunt, A.J. Dillon, Tony Pollard, the guys where if they got the featured role like we are absolutely ecstatic and probably ranking them as a top 10, if not even higher running back. But I do think, you know, when you look at Melvin Gordon versus the Bills running backs or even like handcuffs with less standalone value like Alexander Madison and Khalil Herbert, I think Gordon can slide in ahead of them. I mean, look, we're talking about what if Gordon exits the picture. God forbid, I'm knocking on wood. If Javante is out of the picture, Melvin Gordon's going to be a volume-based RB one.
1: And I will say with Javante, uh, you know, when you watch him run, he's a very violent runner. He takes on a lot of contact. He runs through a lot of contact. He puts his body in weird torque positions. Dude, when he's going out of bounds, like trying to get last couple of yards, I love it though. Lets-
0: I love love it it too.
1: I love it too. But like he gets hit and he's like Superman just flying through the air. So yeah, we want him to keep doing all those things. But like when you run like that, like obviously, and I don't have a study or data or anything like this to put out on that, but you take that many really hard hits that he can, that he takes on by trying to get extra yardage and things like those things can add up. So I think that leaves room for Melvin Gordon. The biggest thing I'll say with Gordon, look, Way up there in the touches, but where you can get him in ADP and his underlying profile, man. So despite the fact that he is older, like his missed tackles force per attempt over the last two seasons, 24% and 22%. The league average is 17%. So is he Javante? No, but hell, he was still 5% above the NFL average running back last season. Um, and then if you look at his yards after contact, 3.1, 3.1. NFL average is 2.93. You look at the explosive attempt. Those are carries of 10 yards or more, 12% and 11%. The NFL average is 10.5%. So Melvin Gordon's still above and beyond. And here's the thing. Yeah, is the guy getting older? But if you have a chance just to kind of keep him fresh, to your point, Ian, comes in, gets maybe 30% of the rushing work, takes you know 20%, 30% you know, of the passing downs, I- I'm with you. I think, I think he could still give you spike week value. Something happens, Javante misses a week or two. Melvin Gordon is immediately probably going to rank as an RB1. Like, he's going to be an RB1 if that happens, like, despite, you know, it's not going to matter, like, how old he is. As much as I, you know, we went on about whether or not to draft Derrick Henry, um, you know, in the last episode, you know, it's more about thinking about it over the whole season. But, you know, to your point, in the weeks that Derrick Henry's out there, there's going to be weeks where Derrick Henry's still going to be ranked the number one running back in fantasy. So same kind of thing's going to go here for Melvin Gordon. Like, if, if Javante Williams were to miss two or three weeks and Gordon's the only dude, where are we going to have him? he's probably going to be in the top six and he's going to depend on the matchup what we think about the game but again these are games they play a ton of games where they're going to to score a lot of points so Melvin Gordon's going to if he has to take over for some period of time he's going to be in a lot of game scripts that are valuable he's shown us in the past that he can be a good passing down back he's done it multiple times over his career he's had years where he's had 25% targets per route run those numbers have you know definitely dropped off 14% and 14% the last two seasons but he can be involved in every facet of the game so I'm with you I like Melvin Gordon where you're getting at adp
0: it just seems like melvin gordon because everyone rightfully loves javante williams and i would say even michael carter too because people love Brees hall i just think they're both falling way past what they should be i mean carter right now is the rb 45 over on underdog fantasy gordon's a little little higher at rb 35 which i think is a pretty good spot but both these guys man i think their touch counts could arguably be similar to like what the they will be Yeah, no, but even like compared to like the Bills and Patriots running backs that are usually going ahead of them, like I think they could argue, arguably, be having similar touch counts as those guys. But the difference is, if one of the Patriots running backs, and I know Stevenson maybe has a little bit of a better upside that we won't get into right now, but my point is, some of these other backfields are, if someone gets. Yeah, if someone gets hurt, they're going to be replaced by multiple guys and they're going to continue to be multiple backfields. Don't discount what Michael Carter and Melvin Gordon could do with that backfield all to themselves. Maybe not quite as sexy as Brees Hall and Javante Williams, but the volume is going to be volume. And to your point, Dwayne, like we're not targeting complete dust players here. Melvin Gordon was still good last year. And I talked about Michael Carter having some of the same underlying metrics as Javante in the first place. So, last thing before we get out of the running back situation is just want to read a tweet from Is it Cecil Lammy?
1: Is that right? Cecil Lammy.
0: Awesome uh, follow that I have seen over the years. Does great stuff over at footballguys.com in addition to his work with the Denver Broncos. And we're going to be reading his uh, tweets a couple more times on this podcast. But basically, this is what he said yesterday. Some believe that Melvin Gordon is not 1B to Javante Williams 1A. Instead, there are some around who believe it's Javante Williams' show with Melvin Gordon as the primary backup. Not a running back by committee, not a timeshare, something Javante Williams takes over more and more as the season rolls on. Not sure exactly what his sources are, but I don't, this is not a minicamp observation here. This is clearly what he's hearing from insiders. And Dwayne, uh, when we were talking before, like you have said that Cecil is one of these reporters that you tend to trust and think that he actually could be on to something.
1: Yeah, I mean, he's been on a lot of stuff for the Broncos over the years. Um, So, I mean, anybody listens to the Audible over at Football Guys with, you know, Sigmund Bloom, Matt Waldman, Cecil, like over the years, like he's always been at training camp, always been at OTAs. And he's been like, he gave me CJ Anderson back in the day, gave me, got me on Julius Thomas when nobody was on him. And he went off. No Sean Moreno the year he went off. He was on that. Like, so like he's not just repeating to you what other beat reporters or other people like that are saying he's really giving you what he thinks he's hearing from the coaches. You know, now he's not coming out and saying this himself. It's like, it's just going to be Javante Williams. So he may say that in the future. I don't know. Like, we'll get Cecil on, man. Like, let him come yeah. tell us about the Broncos. But, like, overall, like, I really do pay, you know, you have certain people that you really pay attention to for each team. At least that's the way I do it. And then I, have, I, I like to pay attention to everybody, but, like, you kind of earn my trust, you know, and Cecil's definitely earned mine over the years.
0: And that is going to be our, I haven't cleared this with you, Dwayne, yet, but I think you'll be down Uh, after we're done with these team previews. Of course, we'll get back into more of a, you know, different subject here, here and there flow, but I am planning on continuing our 32 and 32 beat writer series. I might do it like by division instead. I know the shorter episodes, uh, maybe weren't everyone's cup of tea last year, but only reason I waited until now was last year, just having all these lovely beat writers on in March. And a lot of the time it was just like, yeah, we don't really know yet. So Figured I'd wait until everyone's ready to draft in July. Really get the information after minicamp and OTAs and stuff. Would love to have Cecil on from Denver. Cecil, if you're listening, we'll reach out soon. Before we get going on to wide receivers, I want to give a shout-out to our lead sponsor today. Friends over at Manscaped, gentlemen, Father's Day is just around the corner, and our friends at Manscaped are here to ensure all the father figures out there are looking daddy material this June. Manscaped Performance Package 4.0, which includes their signature lawnmower 4.0, is a perfect bundle to tackle any and all old man hair from head to toe. This right here is no dad joke deal we have for you everyone 20 percent off and free shipping with the code pff at manscaped.com again that's 20 percent off and free shipping with the code pff at manscaped.com great day to go get manscaped underdog fantasy the best place to play fantasy football this summer happens to be Underdog Fantasy. Best Ball Mania Tournament has $10 million in total prize money, and the best part is, you just draft your fantasy football team. That's it. No waivers, no trades, no in-season management. Underdog gives you your best score each week of the season, and the highest scores at the end of the year win. Plus, Underdog is going to double your first deposit, up to $100 when you sign up with the promo code PFF. And if you play just $10 of those dollars using promo code PFF, you get a free PFS subscription. So what are you waiting for? Head on over to Underdog Fantasy or the App Store, play $10 with code PFF, and draft your Best Ball Mania team today. Broncos wide receivers. They're great. Colton Sutton, Jerry Judy, Tim Patrick, KJ Hamler, even one week quarterback, Kendall Hinton, still out there on the squad, getting a paycheck. Talked about it with George Patton and the difference between the commitment he gave Melvin Gordon versus the commitment he gave Javante Williams. I think that matters here too, man. George Patton, the GM right now. Did not draft Jerry Judy or KJ Hamler. That first round pick was made under the John Elway regime and a different coaching staff. What George Patton did do was give Cortland Sutton last year a four-year $60.8 million extension that includes $34.9 million in guaranteed money. He also gave Tim Patrick a three-year $34 million extension that includes $18.5 million in guaranteed money. Burmers out of Broncos camp. We just talked about Cecil and all the great things he did. Here's another tweet from Cecil where someone asked him actually about the specific wide receiver rotation going on. This is actually from Alex Caruso. Always a fun presence on fantasy Twitter. He asked, I know it's early. What should we expect in tight end position between Albert O and Greg D also curious to see if there's a real chance is Tim Patrick over Judy this year. Cecil's response. Pat's over Judy for sure. Dwayne, not Crazy. This is something we've talked about. And this is why we've been on and switched. Maybe not to be getting, but I know I've had Sutton over Judy now for quite some time. And the reasoning has been because if you look at how they were used last year, Sutton, 88% snaps from out wide. Patrick, 72%. Judy was 26% and 74 from the slot. Hamler was 51% out wide and 47% from the slot. They already committed to Sutton and Patrick who are outside receivers like they might get some work inside. They even use Patrick as an inline tight end for a few snaps here or there because he's big enough to do so, but they're going to be out there. I agree that three wide receiver sets are going to go out, but man, I think Hamler's a bitter, bigger risk of taking away Judy's snaps than anything. I know the season in the SEC was great, and I've seen the route running. like It's fantastic, but I just think this might be a situation where we have a lot of signs, a lot of dollars telling us that Sutton and Patrick are the top two receivers, and then we have a lot of people who have been waiting for a Judy breakout and just want it to happen so bad, Dwayne, that we're ignoring the fact that he could be the odd man out here. What's your overall thoughts on this wide receiver rotation? Because I, I dropped Judy outside the top 30 today, man. I am more and more making a stand on this.
1: Yeah. So last year um, in the games where these three players all played together, at least 50% of the snaps here are their snap rates in 12 and 21, which this team is going to use this team. This team has a fullback on the roster. This team has the option to use two tight ends. We do think they'll use 11 personnel more, but. I think a staple of Nathaniel Hackett's offense will be multiple. They're going to be multiple, like what you think about uh, with Sean Payton, what you think about you know, with Lafleur, right? Um, th- they're going to use a lot of different things. 11 probably be their base personnel, but they're going to mix in the others. And so Tim Patrick, 76% of the time they were in 12 when these guys were all playing together. 76% of the time he was in a route. Um, Cortland Sutton, 80%. Jerry Judy, 23%. Sheesh. Okay. So 21 personnel, 85% for Tim Patrick, 85% for Cortland Sutton, 15% for Jerry Judy. Now, again, new coaching staff, but to your point, the GM just paid these two dudes and Jerry Judy's not his draft pick. So I definitely have concerns about Judy at this point. Honestly, I've been just kind of passing him in drafts and I haven't adjusted my ranks yet. Here's what I'm going to say look, he has a still he's still a first round talent. He could still end up leading the Broncos. Like it's in his range of outcomes. He could still lead the Broncos sure. in targets. He comes from a good school, a really good pedigree. Um, it, and he's been playing hurt. But at the end of the day, like what I'm going to need to hear about Jerry Judy. And I think the thing that like one of the things, if we get, you know, Cecil or somebody else from the Broncos, like as we get later into the season, and it sounds like right now it's definitely, you know, Tim Patrick and I do trust, you know, Lammy, but, I would want to hear that Jerry Judy's working outside, you know, in yeah. camp. Like I really, like that would matter to me because of what we're looking at, right? Like there's specific things you're trying to go figure out about certain teams. And so for me with Jerry Judy, we definitely need to hear that. And to your point, like KJ Hamler does play this lot as well. So he could eat into Judy um, or, you know, KJ, KJ Hamler, they could also use some 10 personnel, right? Um, and if they do that, maybe that's how KJ Hamler gets on the field. The other thing they could do. Is they could just rotate all these guys more. Like that's also a potential outcome. Like I don't want to pretend like I know for sure, but if 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 the Girl Scout was coming to the door <laughs> right now, based on the information that we have today, which is really all we can go off of, I would assume that it's gonna be Sutton and Patrick, right? That they're gonna be the two guys that are out there in base personnel. I still think you'll see the Broncos probably what was Green Bay at last year, Ian. I know you were looking at that. 70%. Yeah,
0: Oh no, okay, that, that, was, that was three years. I'm not sure uh, specifically 2021.
1: Okay. But what was it for three years? There are 11 personnel. It's
0: 11 and 10 personnel, which is pretty small. Together, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Together with
1: 70%. Okay. So and you know, the NFL average like for those two is uh a little, probably right at that for both of those together. I know that you know if it was just well, no, the NFL average is going to be higher than that because that's probably that's almost the NFL average at this point for like just eleven personnel. It's probably like around sixty-five to seventy percent. But I think the Broncos could use it, you know, a little bit more than that. It would make sense to me. They're they've got all these receivers, <laughs> you know. As much as we like Dulcich, he's a rookie. He's not really going to block Okwubunam you know, is there as well. It's like, you know, Dulcich is almost really more like a big slot type guy. So I don't know that he'll be able to find his way on the field that much, but dude, I didn't even thought about that. Like that could threaten Judy. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Dulcich could actually threaten Judy more than Okwibudum. We're going like, to get to
0: like when, when I'm going to read later, the NFL our draft guide talk on Dulcich, like they said, if if he doesn't put on more weight, he could just switch to wide receiver. I don't think that's why they drafted him, but it's possible.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And again, sometimes with rookies, I know we get carried away. A, a lot of these guys, they're drafting them, not just to start them, even if they spend an early pick, right? It's more to groom them into being something in a few years or to have depth because a lot of things can happen. But yeah, there's just a lot of ways that it could go bad for Judy. Look, here's the positives I'll say with Judy. You know, He did get to an, a 20% target share as a rookie. Um, he was a very young player coming out where already talked about his draft pedigree. It's really good. He still checks a lot of boxes. So I don't know how much I'm going to move Jerry Judy down. I'm like popping my ranks back open right now, like just to see like exactly where I've got Jerry Judy. Um, so right now I'm sitting with Jerry Judy um, at wide receiver. I'm at wide receiver 22. I've got him behind Sutton. Um, I've no, got him just problem. ahead of Allen Robinson, Michael Thomas, Brandon Cooks, but he probably deserves to go down in this next tier, to be honest, at this point. I put him
0: uh, 29th, by the way. I lied about outside the top 30.
1: I have him 29th. So though that that's probably right. I think he did. I'm I'm with you. Like he probably deserves to be more among uh, Rashad Bateman, uh, Elijah Moore, Amon Ross St. Brown, Gabriel Davis. He honestly he probably belongs in that tier. I, I'm gonna I'm marking it right now.
0: Look at that, guys. I'm moving you know i'm moving i've been thinking about him
1: but this this really does help like this you kind of being on this seeing some of the same things and being on the same way we were on we were together and moving sutton up you know and i just hadn't decided to move judy down but i just don't see how i don't because this pro he's probably gonna man all these factors together could keep him at like a 65 percent route participation
0: they gave sutton 35 million guaranteed he is going to be the number one receiver like uh, everything like he's going to be a number one, even if he's
1: not the number one from targets for some weird reason, he's going to be the number one receiver in routes. <laughs> you know, yeah. He's going to be out there the most, which most likely will make him the number one in targets as well. That, you know, if you, if you get three good players and and one of them gets to play more routes than the other two, typically that's the one that's going to get the most targets because yeah. all target share is routes run per drop back. Plus your targets per route run. Those two things together make up is is how you get your target share. So yeah, that, I think it's going to be a close receiver room. So where do you have Sutton? What number?
0: I have Cortland Sutton wide receiver, 18.
1: Yeah, we're close. I'm 21, man. I've been toying with it. Ian, I'm with you. Like, so, you know, I've already moved Mike Williams and Marquise Brown above the DJ Moore, Deontay Johnson, Terry McLaurin, DK. Met- now I know for you, you're going to have McLaurin above this, but yeah. specifically the, the DJ Moore, Deontay Johnson, DK Metcalf, the, uh, the, oh shit. I don't have a quarterback group. Um, <laughs> They just keep, they just keep sliding. I still have,
0: well, D, I still have DJ ahead of, I have DJ and Hollywood ahead of Sutton. I'm taking Sutton ahead of Metcalf, Deontay, Waddle, and the rest.
1: So here's the problem. We've talked about this before. And, and, and look, and I love talent. The ta- I do talent and the situation. That's why I've made my tiers the way they are. Like it's always kind of been like the way I've done it, but I've never really been so like organized about it, I guess is the best way. And That's again, when this, when this is your life, you know now this is what you do for a living um you know you have time to do this kind of stuff you know before it was like i would do it on the side to be ready basically just so that i could do well in drafts but Brian,
0: my fantasy rank is a little more or actually see my family for the first time in a week you know you, got, you had a <laughs> couple tougher decisions to make
1: there. exactly so but thinking about it and this is why i wanted to go back and do the quarterback research again i did it like seven years ago and I wanted to go back to it and do it again because again it really comes back to this tier of DJ Moore, Deontay Johnson, DK Metcalf, Terry McLaurin semi in it like I'm not huge on Wentz but I agree that out of those guys like I trust this quarterback more than the others by far maybe maybe DJ Moore gets Baker and then he and Carson Wentz are kind of a, a toss-up that's why I don't want to move DJ Moore too far but that's why I wanted to do this study about the impact of quality of quarterback play which you were talking about earlier It's just really what is the upside of someone like DJ Moore if we think he's going to have the thirtieth the thirtieth best quarterback in the league? Like, how far can he really go on his own? Like, I just I don't think I think you know wide receiver two is really the best he can do. Like, unless if they got Baker, then I think that puts wide receiver one back in DJ Moore's range of outcomes. But even then, we're not going to be going nuts about Baker. So anyway, I'm rambling. Um, Cortland Sutton, I guess what I'm trying, I'm like working through in my head right now is do I want to move him up with Mike Williams and Marquise Brown? His talent profile is not near as good as DJ Moore, Deontay Johnson, Terry McClure, or DK Metcalf. I'm not, it's not close yet. Anyway, those guys are t- uh, targets per route of 25%, 27%, 22%, 15%. Cortland Sutton, you know, has never touched that number ever. Any of those numbers I just gave you, you know, Cortland Sutton's best year, I want to say was a 19 percenter or a 20 percenter. So I had my own concerns about Sutton's talent profile. Yes, they did pay him. Um, but man, the situation is just he's got such a better quarterback, such a better offense could be spread around. You know, I don't know. I'm working through it in my mind. Yeah
0: we still have it is June 14th Dwayne, so we have a few more a uh, few more weeks here to get our stuff together before our lovely most of our lovely listeners are drafting but obviously want to be as sharp as we can 365 days of the year Please don't confuse this as Judy slander. You know, I've, I've said for years, like, one of the best moments of Broncos games is when you get that wide receiver corner ISO cam and you just see Judy breaking down some poor soul. It has been some bad quarterback play. I've, I haven't done it yet this offseason, but in 2020 and 2021, I just look at the most unlucky wide receivers based on basically, you know, uncatchable passes that PFF is able to attribute to the quarterback, not to the wide receiver. And it was Jerry Judy and DJ Moore, and then like everyone else basically at the top of that list in 2020 twenty. and then like man that i thought he was gonna be out for the season after that high ankle sprain in week one credit to him for coming back and i've said for other guys like i don't want to penalize players for playing through the pain i do wonder what we would maybe think of judy if he had just missed the entire season but you know then coming back from that injury would have been different as well so not completely out on Judy. I do think there's enough tea leaves here, though, to comfortably rank Sutton ahead of him at this point, which is what I'm doing. Again, still 29th. Not not saying completely no. I hope that uh, it falls a little bit for further I mean apart.
1: for the Judy truthers, like targets per route run. Last year, even better than Sutton 21% versus 17% yards per route run 1.85 versus 1.4. I just
0: can't believe Dwayne, like we saw Bridgewater come back and we knew that there was probably going to be someone lose out. And from target standpoint, that was Corlin Sutton. The fact that Judy kind of won that battle and nothing happened with it is what's problematic for me. And I know he was hurt, but God, man, we couldn't have gotten one trip to the end zone. Just one.
1: Yeah. And, and I do, I do think some of it was injury and it's also playing with Teddy yeah. Bridgewater, which I know Teddy supported some guys in the past, but things just didn't work out well for that offense overall last year. So I, I do want to say that I am, I still support Jerry Judy, because his talent. Like I definitely think it's I got a hot
0: stat for you, by the way, that Timo like if, pulled up.
1: Hold so on, I you, think you're going to want to hear this.
0: This is going to help your Courtland Sutton talent thing. Yeah, go T- ahead. Timo who, a lot of people have been yelling at him for the Hunter Renfro, Cooper Cup take, which I think deservedly so. But let's face it, Timo's a smart freaking guy. He probably has more football knowledge and, you know, one finger than a lot of people do. So anyway, what Timo basically put together, this was like from April, but basically only looking at the yards per route run on goes, posts, and corners during people's career, Corton Sutton fifth. Behind only Rob Gronkowski, Julio Jones, Desha- and Deshaun Jackson. And I guess someone else that I forgot to add up there. So, yeah, pretty damn good, Dwayne. goes post and corners. I think we've seen enough of, uh, you know, Russ Wilson hitting DK Metcalf on those. Sure, it looks like Sutton could now be his guy on all those moon balls.
1: And that's the important part, right, is of being good on those routes and then pairing that up with the quarterback you're going to now be playing with, which is probably Timo's point, you know, of where Russ likes to go with the ball and the type of, uh, you know, routes that he likes to target. Um, So, yeah, I think that's a plus, you know, for Sutton. I will say, I think there's a good chance that Jerry Judy also works deeper from the slot. You know, Jerry Judy is not a slouch. Is he Is he Ty Lockett fast? No, but most people in the league aren't. Ty Lockett's, you know, pretty rare. Who is? KJ Hamler. KJ Hamler. (laughs)
0: <laughs> That's the other I, agree, thing that-
1: I, I agree that KJ Hamler is also another threat to Jerry Judy yeah. I, I want to just tie a bow real quick on Judy and we can move to KJ Like the thing I will say with Judy is the underlying talent profile still looks good and, and I, do, I am a believer that you get to end certain rounds of the draft when players are close because the NFL season can be very chaotic Like I'm not going to be running from Judy it's not no. that I won't ever draft Judy and here's why because we can have Tim Patrick get hurt, we can have Cortland Sutton get hurt all of a sudden things could change and Jerry Judy is playing outside. Yeah. Like these are all things we're doing the best we can to put this information and to piece the put the pieces of puzzle together. But I will say with Judy, his profile is good enough that I'm still gonna try to get exposure to him. I'm just probably I'm not gonna be overweight. It's probably gonna be past ADP now. Um, but I'm still going to look to like in my spots where I can get a hold of Jerry Judy because I could still see ways that this season definitely works out. I mean, and another one is they could just blow us away and be like, "We're going to run 11 85 percent of the time." Like that could happen too. So there's a lot going on here. Let's
0: talk about these complimentary receivers and in, in uncertain situations like this. Not a bad idea just to be throwing darts at the cheapest guys involved because make no mistake about it. Tim Patrick and lesser extent, but I still think he'll be there. KJ Hamler going to firmly be factoring into these three wide receiver sets. Tim Patrick has been the Broncos best wide receiver over the past two years. Yeah, it's been a bad situation. It's been a bad situation for all these guys. Tim Patrick, PFF receiving grade 78.1. This one surprised me, Dwayne. Tim Patrick has 11 receiving touchdowns over the past two years. Every other Broncos wide receiver combined also has 11 receiving touchdowns. Like That's how good Tim Patrick has been. It's been impressive watching him do it, and he accordingly got paid. So right now I have, let's see, I looked, let me see who I have. More exposure to than
1: while you're pulling Patrick. it out. Tim Patrick has been a wide receiver four twice um, over year four and year five. But in year four, a 75.6 PFF receiving grade that's wide receiver two territory. And then you look at year five when he was a wide receiver four again. He had a 71.8, which is a wide receiver three, um, you know, grade. So you have, and especially I really love looking at the receiving grades when you have really bad quarterback play, because it truly is aimed at separating the receiver from the quarterback. There's not another stat that does it better um, than honestly the PFF rookie receiving grade because yards per route run is influenced by quarterback. If your quarterback sucks and he can't throw for many yards and you get a pass and you're on a route. Guess what? Like it drags you down too if he sucks. Whereas the PFF receiving grade, it's a little more disconnected, which is why I like to use it along with targets per route run and yards per route run. So just kind of backing up what you're saying about Tim Patrick, even though he's been a wide receiver four, his underlying data has already told us that he's a wide receiver two or a wide receiver three.
0: 20 plus best ball drafts that I've completed since the draft. My number one highest exposed wide receiver is Terry McLaurin. Might need to even chill out a little bit at this point because I haven't ranked so far ahead of consensus, but you know what? Maybe I'm just that right about it. So Terry McLaurin, number one, Chris Olave number two. I, I I don't, I've never understood the discrepancy between him and these other rookies. I'll continue to pound that. And number three, Mr. Tim Patrick going like wide receiver 58, man. I think him and Kenny Galladay are both great picks right around uh that range. And it's kind of like the the last couple receivers that you can start still feeling good about uh before the just positional drop off really gets there so look like i'm talking up tim patrick i'm not ranking patrick ahead of judy that'd be freaking fantasy malpractice just based on adp and where you can get them in these drafts Dwayne. but even as patrick starts to move up when people listen to us and then just cecil's tweets and stuff become more apparent and people get more tuned into it i still want to be ahead of at Tim Patrick and consensus, like even if he starts approaching that wide receiver for borderline.
1: Yeah. Give me Tim Patrick over MVS and Alan Lazard. I mean, I, I know, look, so I get, I get the idea that MVS and what people will argue with Lazard is well, yeah, but there's no one there to cap him. Alan Lazard is there to cap himself. He's never shown any of these traits, right? He's never been able to hit anything in yards per outrun, targets per round, PFF receiving Steven Gray, any of these things like that we're looking for, or just, you know, how about have, you know, a wide receiver three finish and look Lazard's fine, but you're kidding yourself. If you think his upside is really to all of a sudden be a 28% target share player, most likely, you know, the Packers theoretically, I agree with you. The upside is more because it's a less crowded offense, but for me, I would rather go ahead and you don't ha- you could get both if you wanted because Tim Patrick goes 20 picks 20 to 30 picks after Alan Lazard and after Marquez Valdez-Scantling and he's a better profile player. So that's just a market inefficiency that you should be taking advantage of. Um, and Tim Patrick is a player that pretty much anyone that's listening to this podcast right now, you should be getting overweight on Tim Patrick now if you're if you're doing best ball drafts, because I think this sort of information is only going to, this drumbeat with this player is probably just going to continue, continue. He'll probably creep up. He's probably going to be a 10th, 9th round pick by the time we get to August. Um, you know, Similar to what we see with Lazard and MVS today, and a lot of it, honestly, for some similar reasons, you know, too, and it's going to be because people love the schedule. They, you know, more and more people are going to be thinking about the AFC West and some of the work, you know, that I've been putting out and others have been putting out like how good this looks against the NFC West and all these other things. There's a lot of things that can push Tim Patrick up the board beyond just him being good. So I think like now is the time to really get overexposure. Love it. And we'll continue to do so. KJ
0: Hamler comes into the NFL suffers a hamstring injury at summer training camp, misses a season opener, comes back, suffers another hamstring injury in week four, misses two games, and the season, gets a concussion. Second year, in June, hamstring strain, held out June minicamp with that injury, comes back, he's looking good, catches a 75-yard bomb from Drew Locke against the Vikings in the preseason for a score. What happens in week three? Unfortunately, tears his ACL did happen in September 26th, though. So this is not like a Michael Gallup, like a Chris Goblin situation where just medically it seems like he's not going to be back there until October. It seems like the way he's progressing, and I believe he's been out there. I need to double-check. But from what I, when I've researched Hamler, it seems like everything's going well medically. I think it's fair to rank him fourth in this group, but again, that slot rate does make you wonder if he could be a bigger factor to Judy than anyone else. I like just being slightly over consensus on Hamler, Dwayne, because everything we just said about Judy, like if someone does go down, yeah, Judy's going to get a bump, and Hamler's going to be in three wide receiver sets too. Four, two, second, four, two, seven, second, 40-yard dash. He's more than just that though, but at the same time, when I go to player profiler, shout out, Matt Kelly the Podfather is fantastic sight. When I see that Deshaun Jackson comp staring me in the face, man, that's legit. And I do think KJ Hamler, like, we're playing best ball. Let's take the freaking fast guy that has Russell Wilson throwing him a deep ball. Can we just get that simple?
1: Yeah, I think it's pretty much that simple. It's it's funny. Like people are already on KJ Hamler, though, right? It's just uh it's one of those deals where people liked him coming out. Um, we have other analysts in the industry, uh, like Ben gretz Sean Siegel, they've been on KJ Hamler for multiple years now. Um, and they're still on him. So you, it's not, it's not even a guy you can just wait till the very end, like <laughs> at least over on underdog, right? You actually have to take him. I don't know. I don't know what his AD, I have to go back and look at his ADP, but, um, with hamler he's a little bit you know
0: wide receiver 76 going up pick 170 so not all the way typically but-
1: a wide receiver four like this though just wouldn't even get drafted but he's getting yeah. see nora's like yeah what's up why is this wide receiver <laughs> getting drafted because he's fast nora um so i'm gonna shut up and let ian talk i guess because nora okay she's stopping uh the only thing i'll say with hamler and it's really uh he hasn't had that much playing time you know he's only out there for 53 percent of the routes as a rookie i don't i haven't gone back to Super dig into how many of those games he might have been coming off of injury and playing through injury, um, but his PFF receiving grade of fifty five point four, not good. Targets per route run seventeen percent. That's a wide receiver six. Yards per route run one point one seven. That's a wide receiver six. Um, but again, I don't know how much he was hurt, and I, you can't count, you know, year two. He was only out there ten percent of the routes. Like I can't even comment on on what that looked like. So with Hamler. I think, you know, I I I know that he was banged up and dealing with injuries, you know, uh, most of that time. So I'm with you. I kind of lean in and say, okay, look, he is fast. If for some reason one of these other guys go down, he's going to see more work. Um, and it's with Russell Wilson. So there, there's worse things.
0: Maybe the highest upside of like a pure wide receiver for in the NFL. Like I know we were saying good things about Josh Palmer and what he could maybe do. And you know, there's Jalen Tolbert's and Russell Gage and guys like that, but they almost slide in more as like a starting number three wide receiver. It's tricky to play the handcuff game. Like we see like Tyler Johnson, the Buccaneers, like even if you liked him, like he comes in and Brady's like, yeah, cool, man. I'm just going to throw the ball to anyone else. That is not you. Now, KJ <laughs> Hamler though. I mean, this is not some scrub. This is a second round 40th overall pick. If we're gonna give Judy some of that benefit, of the doubt just based on the talent profile, I do think Hamler deserves that as well. But okay, that was a nice long combo that needed to be said. On and Nora, uh, Nora
1: got a lot out during that one. I didn't know K, she was so. I didn't know she was so bullish on KJ Hamler. But let's talk about the tight. Ed- spoken.
0: Let's talk about this tight end here that has played in 18 of a potential 33 games to start his young career. Has played more than 60 percent of the offensive snaps on one occasion. But damn it, Dwayne. I can't chastise him too hard because Albert O has been absolutely fantastic with the opportunities given his way. 51 tight ends have at least 25 targets over the past two years. Albert O ranks ninth in PFF receiving grade, tied for fifth in yards per route run with Kyle Pitts at 2.02. 02. 25th in yards per reception, targets per outrun, third right there with freaking George Kittle and I believe Travis Kelsey. Pretty damn good company to be with. At the same time, if you ask people to, you know, meme these things I think we'd arguably get in the soldiers with the clown or we'd just be having people saying like okay who's the one obvious like okay I, I get worried Dwayne I get worried that I'm looking at Chris Herndon again because I found these stats with Chris Herndon when he was coming back and it looked pretty damn good the yards per target the amount of players that he was with that were just one stud after another I thought I had it I think it was like rookies that have averaged over eight yards per target the opportunity seemed to be there it didn't work out now don't let past mistakes influence you know no future fantasy draft choices. So I'm not out on it, but man, I'm just not sure where all the routes are coming from. And no offense out of the picture. In comes Greg Dulcich, who just seems like the worst case tight end to be adding to the equation. So this is what PFF wrote about Dulcich in our 2022 NFL draft guide. Shout out Mike Renner as always. Where he wins, natural receiving ability. Dulcich is the kind of athlete that can still produce if he lost 20 pounds and just played wide receiver. He's got that kind of feel and body control to separate. What's his role? Receiving tight end. Dulcich will never be a plus blocker in the NFL, but he's at least respectable in that regard. Dulcich will be covet- coveted for his all-around receiving ability that can work from any alignment, where he can improve musculature. I think I said that word wrong. My bad. Dulcich has already come a long way from the 210 pounder that showed up at UCLA, but he shouldn't be done yet. He still has five to 10 pounds more to go before he's ready to be a high level contributor in the NFL. I mentioned Alberto has not had the every down role. No, no fans been there. I get that. How come Robert Tunyon couldn't even get in every down role in Green Bay under Hackett, man? This is a guy that clearly was number one receiver there, and he played at least 75% of the snaps one time in his career. Shout out to our guy Cecil, who's telling us that Greg D is the better play, but it's tight end by committee. Dulcet to get worked in more over the year. even said Kid has upside, getting some Julius Thomas vibes. So, with all that said, Dwayne, where Alberto is going now, I can't come at you and be like, you're crazy. I'm never drafting him because he's going outside the top 15 tight ends. Like at that point with your Gerald Everts in the world, that's fine. Spread out that exposure. Please spread out the exposure. So you don't do what I did and just have a bunch of Chris Herndon and Jay Sternberger teams out there. Like I get it, spread her out around these guys. But man, when you look at that, like we haven't even gotten into Russell Wilson, basically never feeding a tight end other than Jimmy Graham over the years. That's a lot of things we need to go right for Alberto. But to your point, the talent's there.
1: Yeah. Once you get to you know later in the draft and you're past the top guys, though, I mean, like he's the profile that screams at me. I will be way overweight on, Alder, on Albert Okwabunum now that his ADP is where it's at. Like my guess is he'll be on over half of my rosters, um, and I'm fine with that um you know I want him on over half now to your point like with there's guys like Chris Herndon like these things are never perfect like so as much as we spend time researching them and as much as we try to like play probabilities we try to play odds like these things miss you know and so you can have players like Okwabuna miss you can have players like Chris Herndon miss but that doesn't mean that like we don't keep going back to the well um and as far as Greg Dulcich goes like I'm just really not that concerned I don't I, I mean we usually don't give rookie tight ends any kind of credit, like whatsoever. And guess what? They usually don't do anything whatsoever. This is a guy that's not even strong enough to play tight end right now. So where is he going to play? Is he going to play in the slot? I don't think he's going to get many snaps at tight end. I think this is more of a future pick with Dulcich. Um, but even if Dulcich plays, the thing that's going to happen for Albert Okwabunum, a guy that's really you know been stuck at like 30% of the routes max, He's going to double that easily. He's going to be the lead tight end. So let's say he gets to 65%. Like he's already getting a 35% bump than what we were used to getting to see. And he's a really good player. I think he's going to be more around probably 70%, You know, of the snaps um, of the routes. And then I think, yeah, you'll see Dulcich work in a little bit like a Kyler Granson. We've heard these stories about these receiving you know, third and fourth round but, tight ends. before. Just real
0: quick it's not like people were hyping up Kyle, Colin Granson. I don't think anyone's hyping up Greg Dulcich. It's just the idea that they're going to be enough involved to take away that big role for Alberto as hey, you, you've been the, you know, front man on this point that you, what it's 75% routes. You've yelled at me enough times. I no, it's, know 80, it's 80, now. It's 80, eighty, but
1: 75 80. is fine. Yeah. 75 to 80 is where we want to be. I, I don't see Dulcich honestly, I'm not worried about him. Like I'm fine if they want to give him twenty percent, and Albert O gets to be at eighty. They want to give Dulcich thirty, and Albert O gets to be seventy. I'm fine with either one of those outcomes. I think Albert O now, not having Noah Fant there, he's going to get what I want. My bigger concern with Albert O than Dulcich, Dulcich honestly, is the least of my concerns in a prob- from a probability perspective of it's really happening. thinking of. of I know, but he's a rookie. You've done the research on this. You know how often these hit.
0: That's I'm, relative I'm saying, to that player, though. I'm saying he's going to make a committee out of it. That's all.
1: Yeah, I don't think it'll be. I don't think it's going to be enough. I don't think it's going to be 50-50. I don't think there's any way possible like that it's going to be 50-50 as a third-round pick. A guy that's not strong enough to play inline tight end at all yet. Like He's basically going to have to be a slot player. They already have KJ Hamler. They already have Jerry Judy. I will honestly be surprised. If Greg Dulcich is in a route over 15% of the dropbacks this year, maybe 20%, even 20%
0: hand up. I don't know right now. Do do we know if Albert O is a decent enough run blocker to stay on the field or is Eric freaking Thomason going to be there and they're going to say, Hey, we have four dope wide receivers. Who cares about the tight end?
1: Well, that's where I was about to go. I was going to say, if I was actually worried about a tight end on this team, it's the run blocking tight end, not Dulcich. <laughs> okay. Um, the other thing I would be worried about for Oakwood is, and honestly, neither one of those things bother me. I, I think at that point, you're just, we're guessing way too freaking much for the, for the talent profile that you're getting your hands on and the upside that it could have. I really don't care about all those questions. I think they could all play out, right? Whatever. I don't care. Like for the, how good the player is, I'm going to let everyone else buy into all those things. And I'm going to say, look, in the chaos of an NFL season, or, you know, just betting on talent, because at this late where you're getting out Okwabunum, like I know the upside he has, and I'm just betting on his upside. And I'm betting on it to hit because it's better than the upside that I'm going to get with a lot of these other guys. um, You know, if it comes through now, it may not, it may not come through, but I think the upside is very differentiated versus what I'm getting versus some of the other guys that are going below him. He and Irv Smith are my two favorites. Um, You know, I love getting in them in the late rounds. I'm going to continue, you know, to do so. I think, the biggest challenge, really, for Oklahoma is this: just there's a lot of receivers in the room, and it's not so much Dulcich or the other tight end or Tomlinson. It's the fact that there's Cortland Sutton, there's Jerry Judy, there's Tim Patrick, Javante Williams isn't bad out of the backfield. Melvin Gordon's had good receiving, you know, seasons. That's my biggest concern with Albert O. Um, are those things. Um, could Dulcich play a factor? Yeah, but I, I really, honestly, I will be surprised if Greg Dulcich, if Greg Dulcich is the reason that Albert O you know, flunks the season, like I would be completely surprised. I think there are other things that are the bigger challenges.
0: I get some Blake Darwin vibes, which isn't completely fair because Blake got hurt before he actually had a chance to cash in
1: on the role. And Darwin didn't have these metrics, but here's my, he didn't have right, these my underlying data points.
0: If all right, he's at 55 career targets. If Alberto had six fewer targets at 49, he would not be crossing most of our typical 50 target thresholds. Like, well, man. I do it by routes. Okay. But you get my point. If he was literally, I'm sure his routes aren't that much higher than the threshold that requires to group in these amount of tight ends. I'm just saying he is so close to just being like out of the picture because he's been used that little, like, are we positive? That's his fourth round tight end that never had has never had 500 receiving yards in a season even going back to college like is are we sure this guy is like an elite talent or well, yeah, is but you it- got to
1: go back and look at his market share of his team in college <laughs> you know 500 yards doesn't really mean that much right you know i mean we don't know how many nice. games that is we don't yeah i mean it'd be nice but like you know it's it's really the shares that matter for college because you know you know how bad quarterback play can be now he got to play with drew lock so um you know they like careful, each other and careful. So no, I, Hey, Drew Locke was a great college quarterback. He's just, he struggled at the next level. Like a lot of guys do. That wasn't meant to be Drew Locke's shade. <laughs> but yeah, I, I'm hands down. Um, like I'm taking Alberto over Gasecki, over Irv Smith, over Cole Kmet, over Noah Fant, over Hunter Henry, over David Njoku, over Tyler Higbee, over Gerald Everett, over Robert Tanyan. And here's why he's at least show me this profile and there's a chance, <laughs> you know, and it matches up with what the top guys do. Is it going to hit every time? No, but the ceiling is just is, is too good. Could he end up being just like the rest of them? Yes, but he has enough of a profile that stands out that there's a reason for me to make a stand on Alberto, And so I'm going to. Um, and so, it, I mean, he and Irv Smith will probably be my two most rostered um, tight ends. And I'm fine mixing all these other guys in. I'm not, I don't feel like I have to reach for them. Like they're guys that just basically make it to me, you know, and I just take them. Um, but there are builds where I've missed out on tight end and I've just made the two of them a priority. And I just go Alberto Irv Smith. And then I come back and I grab a three Tyler Higby later. Uh, you know, Gerald Everett later one we just talked about in the last episode, I love grabbing. I don't want to be completely out on Cole Komet yet either. So I like all the other guys, but if I have to put them all together, like I'm definitely going to lean in, you know, to these to this underlying data profile. And yes, it's on a smaller sample, But this is how we find these breakouts. And sometimes we hit them and sometimes we don't. But this is the best way I know how to do it. I'm not a NASA rocket scientist, but like <laughs> this is the best way I know how, and it's given me the best hit rate so far. it's And it's definitely not perfect to your point. I'm conceding that Albert O could be a complete bust. But when I look at the rest of these guys, none of them even check these boxes that he has. And I'm not, I'm again, he could bust people. He could, but again, he's going off. He's going off the board now at tight end 16, uh, over on underdog, uh, FFPC. He's going off the board tight end 15. So I actually love the Dulcich pick. I think people are overthinking the Dulcich pick and it's actually now made Alberto over God. Like he was getting up to where he was like tight. He got up like tight end eight at one point.
0: I know that was bonkers. And I'm so happy. We don't have to have that discussion because that, that would just get, that would get ugly, Dwayne
1: yeah that, well even then i would be like okay because then opportunity i know that's why Then it would be like okay i'm not taking albert o over freaking you know chase edmonds or uh, uh kareem oh, no. hunt you know whenever you know that you're sitting in that sweet spot you know for running backs and you're like i need an rb3 um there's a lot of things on your in the receivers that are going you're, you're not going to take albert o over garrett wilson um you know it's just a lot of things in play there but now where you get him i just love the price so much that that's the profile is huge, but now the fact that it's ADP is so much lo- lower is what's going to make me probably half my teams have Albert O on.
0: I'm just happy that we're in agreement that Irv Smith is our favorite late round tight end. And hey, I'm not that far off consensus. I am not quite drinking the Kool-Aid as much as you, but I have them. Oh, you're a- fine.
1: I'm you're, tight you're end making me defend yeah. my points, which I think Absolutely. are good. Like If somebody yeah. has a strong opinion, it's like, okay, well, why do you have it?
0: My tight end 19, I could certainly, uh poor Mike to he, I just keep dropping him down, but I could see moving Alberto up to tight end 17, where he's currently going now an underdog. So he really is continuing to fall there. Final point, Dwayne. And again, he's,
1: tight, ends,
0: he's tight end. <laughs> se- <laughs> oh my God. Go for it. Though. Yeah. This is basically your version of Terry McLaurin. So like, just, just draft him. You feel like good about it. He's going late enough. Go ahead. Go, go ahead and just do it. It's actually a much, more reasonable version of Terry if reform. I didn't
1: I don't know why I do all the research I do like and how and how much I put into coming up with my methodology and everything honestly like if I'm not at 50 percent on Albert O I'm a complete fraud
0: <laughs> I have one final point to throw your way probably considered it but What about the Russell Wilson tight end track record? Because the top four target seasons in his entire time with the Seahawks, Jimmy Graham, 96, 95, and then 74. Gerald Everett was over 60. Now going in, I was surprised to see Jimmy Graham actually spent more time in line with the Seahawks than he did with the saints. So it wasn't just a slot receiver thing that we could immediately write off, but, I do wonder, Dwayne, because we've seen this with Russell Wilson and Kylo Murray, the heat maps with some of these shorter quarterbacks and just Russell's career. They don't throw over the middle of the field nearly as much as some of these other quarterbacks. And we've seen that with Waldron. That was the point of emphasis, and they pretty much abandoned it shortly into the season. Do you think Russell Wilson is just not the type of quarterback to throw to his end line targets?
1: I don't buy that because um, if it was a factor like then, what about Drew Brees? Drew Brees is the same hype as Russell Wilson and he lit Jimmy Graham up. Like, well, so,
0: that was when Jimmy Graham was playing wide receiver. That's why I use that
1: caveat. Well, yeah, he was playing slot mostly, but I mean, Russell Wilson throws to Tyler Lockett from the slot. Um, yeah. You know, I just, I, and, and Russell Wilson. Yeah. Does he throw the middle of the field, you know, less than some of these other guys? Yeah. But it's not really just because it's the middle of the field. I mean, he's throwing deeper routes is really yeah. the biggest thing with Russ Wilson. So, I mean, with Albert O, he does have the ability to attack the seams and we'll have to see how they're going to use him. You know, but I, I've, I've, I've looked at that kind of stuff in the past, like pretty much every time. And I, I haven't done like a deep study. So I don't want to sit here and act like I know everything, but I haven't done like a deep study on like, you know, guys just avoiding certain positions. Me, like me either. I was just and,
0: throwing it out there.
1: But, okay. Well, I didn't know you may have it, but like in three or four years, I haven't looked at that. But when I had looked at it before, it was basically just like, it was just bunk, <laughs> nice. you know? Um, yeah. So it's just something where then, you know, a lot of these guys that people would talk about and they'd leave certain data out or you just go look and like, you know, they never had tight ends. The thing with Jimmy Graham, um, that one caught my attention at least, you know, but we didn't get like with Jimmy, you know, how long did Jimmy play before he, you know, tore the patella tendon? How many games did he get with Russ before that injury? Do you know? Yep. No. If not, it's no big deal, but. I don't know. Okay. Anyway. All right. So I'm I'm not that worried about it. And again, where I'm getting him, I'm fine. Um, hopefully, mostly Alberto's coming onto my roster as my tight end two. Right, that's where I prefer him. Um, but I do have some teams where I've got him as my and I'm my wide receiver one. But it's him and Irv Smith back to back, and then I typically get a third um, if if I start with Alberto. So I'm also not. Dumb enough to think that I couldn't be wrong. If I start with, Al- I'm not so confident in Albert O. Even though I have him at 11, that if I draft him, no, I just need one more tight end. I'm good. You know, now I'm going to go ahead and take three. It's not. It's not the same as getting Gronk, who I have one spot ahead in a tear break ahead. That's why tear yeah. breaks matter, people. That's why we make tears because Rob Gronk, Gron- Rob Gronkowski is in a different tier above Albert O. Gronk. Well, yeah, I'd probably draft three with Gronk just because he's not signed yet. But, right, if he signed, he moves up to tier six, you're fine. If I draft Kyle Pitts, I only need two tight ends. If I draft Albert O, I need three.
0: And look, I will say a nice thing here about Albert O relative to everything you're talking about. He's going pick 146. Like we just went through every single position room showing the uncertainty that is kind of around the pecking order in every single room. I mean, Javante Williams is going pick 27. Cortland Sutton and Jerry Judy are going within the first 45 picks. So if there was a position on the Broncos that you could miss and still be just fine with your overall roster construction, it is Albert O as a late round tight end. Not that I'm personally prioritizing him, but I can see how my dear friend Dwayne here would. So let's recap real quick. Russell Wilson, easy top 10 fantasy football quarterback. Dwayne convinced me to bump him ahead of Dak Prescott for good reason. Might be able to get some of that, you know, not 800-yard rushing upside, but wouldn't surprise us to get 300. And just being in the shootout, happy AFC West. Tough to see Russ not cooking to maybe not a brand new level, but at least at the typical upside QB one that we've seen throughout his career. At running back Javante Williams, don't underestimate the fact that he could just be priced close to his floor, even though he already is expensive, was already over 250 combined carries and targets last year. Has a chance to add a bunch on top of that. And if he doesn't, he's still in a great offense, should be an upside RB two. We are bashing Javante Williams where he's currently going. Melvin Gordon, someone that I do think deserves to be in that low-end RB3 case. Even if you don't love Melvin Gordon, just the player, the standalone value, you got to consider him with that handcuff upside the same way we are with a bunch of guys going in that tier. At wide receiver, Cortland Sutton, we are firmly going ahead of Jerry Judy, who is going down the ranks just a little bit. Not completely out, but we think we have enough factors in terms of the money and the usage that Sutton should be the one, and Judy's the one with more risk for just losing some of his snaps. Tim Patrick and KJ Hamler, fantastic late-round values, particularly Tim Patrick. As long as he is staying outside the top 55, even 60 wide receivers sometimes keep hitting that draft button. And Albert O, if you didn't get enough of that, yeah, he's a perfectly good late-round tight end. If you ask Dwayne, he might even say he is the late-round tight end, other than Irv Smith, of course. Sounded about right, Twain.
1: Yeah. The last thing I'll say on Alberto is when you look at all the players that I have below him, they all have, almost all of them have the same concerns. Most of them aren't going to be 80% route players, right? They're going to be 65 to 70. Irv Smith has a shot, I think, to be at 80. Dawson Knox has a shot to be at 80, but he's got OJ Howard to deal with. Higby. Uh, Higby will be there, but that's probably, you. maybe, yeah, you know, that's probably it. The rest of these, the rest of these guys are probably going to be somewhere between 65 and 75. And so once I take that into account as well, um, it's like, yeah, it kind of just becomes like the no brainer for me. I I think Friar has a chance. I know you've got your outstanding question about freaking Gentry. (laughs) I almost said Jesse James, like every second tight end for the The sheriff feels the same. Yeah. Uh, So like, that's the other part of it. Like when I look at everybody behind him, I'm just like, okay, well, they're all gonna have the same similar kind of route scenarios. So just give me the profile that, you know, at least has a chance. Um, and if it does come through and he is it, it can hold up his end of the bargain and it ends up being like a Gronk or someone, wow, like talk about something like set your roster off.
0: All right, everyone. That's gonna wrap up our longest team preview edition yet, but you know, we had a lot to talk about. Wow. Brandon 140. I know, partying. (laughs) Why the why the hell? A lot of
1: players on this team to cover, man.
0: Hell yeah! Let the people know what they can find from you on pff.com this week.
1: Yeah, so tomorrow I will have an article dropping that's just really looking at the NFL schedule overall for the year, but really just focusing in on um, going over and and looking at the sports books and seeing. Okay, early on, I know it's early, but you know a lot of times quarterback drive these things what are the teams that are going to be in the most games right at, at least as of right now that are projected to be at 50 or more points you know so the game totals for the week over the uh, from week 1 through week 17 and then on what is today ian tuesday on thursday yeah, so Wednesday. So on Friday, <laughs> I will have an article that will be coming out about the impact of quarterbacks, how much do they matter. And it'll probably feature some, uh, now that Ian spilled his bean, spilled the beans on the last podcast about some research he's been doing. It'll probably have some cool research from Mr. Ian Hart in it as well, uh, just looking at how much do quarterbacks really matter for tight ends and wide receivers and how they end up scoring in fantasy points. Because as we break down these tiers, as a lot of, you know, and you look at it, you're like, wow, there's this player has talent and environment and team. Great. But there's not very many of those pretty much. Everybody after that is like, well, they have one or the other. They have talent. They don't, they don't have the situation. They have the situation. They don't have as much talent. So just really, I wanted to do it and go back and look at the math I'd done in the past to make sure that maybe I wasn't underweighting it. Maybe I'm overweighting how important it is. So that was originally what I wanted to set out to do it. But I'll have a lot of takes from that. And I will be updating. Um, I'm going to be out on vacation you know, the following week, but I'm going to I'm gonna venture in to try on this Friday to go ahead and update all my tiers and all my ranks if I can get through all of them. I may leave off like quarterback and tight end, but at least get the running backs and receivers you know,
0: redone. As always, at Dwayne McFarlane on Twitter. You can continue to find my team preview series up on PFF.com. We are now done with five of them, Dwayne. Just three more to go, and then we're getting to the real nitty-gritty with everything. But hope you guys all continue to enjoy all the team preview content we are putting out. Also, three more weeks of USFL, everyone. I'm bummed, though, man. Look, I'm in Cincy. Canton's really far north. Like, it's not the easiest drive. But I was absolutely going to go up there for both of the playoff rounds fortunately slash unfortunately i'm spending my i'm going to be at the beach for basically 10 days and it just happens to cover both of the freaking uh usfl playoff games so you know uh it's kind of like a half vacation half like engagement party for myself and my lovely fiance so unfortunately i wasn't able to get out of that in return to going to canton ohio to watch usfo playoff games with probably another
1: like 60 people as beautiful as this. usfl football is like what you're gonna be doing ian come on let's wait
0: i know dwayne but i love it and i will be watching it on tv anyway or on my phone i will find a way to support We'll see who wins, man. I think New Jersey generals are going to take this down. If you're a betting man or a woman, I would put my money there, but you never know if case cookers in the Philadelphia stars are going to be healthy. Who knows, man, do you want to keep going? USFL, join you. want to wrap this
1: up. I'm good. Let's put a wrap on it. <laughs> <laughs> no, man. I support the USFL. Too. I know, like, I know. I know. Yeah. I put together the utilization reports. I'm I, dude. I'm, I love what you're doing, and just like how the players have engaged with you, and you know, been so thankful. I just, I think it's really cool. It's something that we don't. Re- I mean, you might you've gotten it from. I think Cordell Patterson did reach out to you. That was awesome. Uh, but it's, uh, it, you know, I think it is really cool to have that kind of intimacy, you know, with the people that you're covering, and you know how thankful they are for what you're doing, and just the positivity you bring to it. So I think it's awesome what you're doing.
0: Great, David. Great as always. Appreciate you, Dwayne. For Dwayne, I'm in. Thank you again for tuning in the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. And until next time, take care, everybody.